0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris tetrald Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a since it is january and being a wrestling fan that can mean only one thing it's Royal Rumble season so here we are with a uh, special episode where I will be putting together what I feel would be the most perfect Royal Rumble pay-per-view from all the years that I I loved watching it so my favourite era what I'm talking about constantly on this show it's not me rebooking any other matches and throw my own storylines in. It's taking the Royal Rumbles that I know and love and basically making up what I feel would be out of all them the most perfect compilation Royal Rumble event. So taking the actual matches, my favourite matches from each kind of stage of the Rumble, so from the undercar to the title match to the Royal Rumble match itself. So, uh, yeah, it's just a bit of fun, really. So um, let's kick it off. I suppose the um, the one thing I loved about the Royal Rumble event was it it was unpredictable. I guess looking back on it now, you can probably see how and why some people were picked to to go over in the Rumble match or to to win the the title matches and whatever. You could see how WrestleMania was shaped months before, but at the time. It, the excitement of having 30 guys in a match was you didn't really know who was going to win because I suppose in one sense until Ric Flair did it I suppose and then Shawn Michaels the idea that it was luck of the draw it was you know your favorite you know Hulk Hogan or whatever could could be the favorite running into it but then if he drew you know number one or five or whatever his chances were all of a sudden shortened because you know you didn't think that they could kind of last that long in a match like that. Of course, Ric Flair did change everyone's opinion of that, and we'll, we'll come on to talk about that in a little bit more depth. Um, but this is really, yeah, this is this is me taking my favourite parts from the Royal Rumbles I enjoyed as a kid. So um, without further ado, let's uh, let's begin. So from looking at the the Royal Rumble pay-per-views from '89 through to 1993, the opening match seemed to be customarily seemed to be a tag team match. Starting off in '89 with a six-man, and then there was a tag team match that that opened the shows all the way up to at '94 was the first one to break that trend um, since '89. And the opening match, the one, the, another thing I loved about the Royal Rumble was that not only in the Royal Rumble match could you see guys on the pay-per-view that you probably wouldn't have seen in a match. You know, mid-card and lower-card guys were thrown in there, it was a great way to see them. But they all the event always seemed to start really strongly. It was always a match that, that sort of pulled you in that didn't necessarily need a massively strong or deep storyline. To it, um, as I think you know, I've heard Jim Ross on his podcast refer to it as uh, it was a cold match. There was no real build up to it necessarily, but it was just a competitive match. And so it it's only fitting, really, that for the the opening match for this, so my sort of perfect Royal Rumble um, would be a tag team match, and it's one that that. For for each of these matches I've picked I've been quite a sport for choice really when I sat down and, and tried to sort of choose which ones I was gonna go with. But there was one that really stood out and so for the, the opening match for my perfect Royal Rumble, it's a tag team match with the Steiner brothers against the Beverly Brothers from the Royal Rumble ninety three. Again, sport for choice because back in the day I was a big Rockers fan. The Rockets had a great match at 91 against the Orient Express. Um, even back to the the six-man that opened up the 89 Royal Rumble with the Hart Foundation, Jim Duggan, against the Rougeos and Dino Bravo. It was, 93 was, it was, I was starting, I was within the first couple of years of really being into wrestling on, on my own. And uh, it was the first year that I sort of was able to pay attention to what was going on at the time. I might have discussed way back in the first episode. But I was a big Steiner Brothers fan. And seeing them in the WWF was something special to me. And this was the the first time this was their pay per view debut for the uh, for the WWF against the Beverly Brothers. And yeah, for me it's just it's nostalgic in the sense that it was the Steiner's first run. It was their first my first look at them in the WWF. Um, nothing had really changed, to be fair. Scott's hair was questionable, I suppose, when he was in the WWF. But um their style was was still as magical, you know, they were still strong, they were they were great to watch. And the Beverly Brothers I think were, were one of those they were really underrated. You know, they they could have been a lot bigger i think they could have had a, a title run at some point um throughout 92 you know given a chance but i think you look at the slide that they had through 92 compared to when they came into the to the wwf in 91 they uh they were used more of a, kind of more as a comedy act i mean they were in matches with funny endings i suppose with the guys like you know the bushwhackers and they uh they were on the the losing ends against like Legion of Doom and then they got their shot at at SummerSlam '92 against the Natural Disasters. But you never really thought they were gonna win. And then I suppose Survivor Series '92, they were probably the the team out of the four in in their match when they teamed with Money Inc against the Nasty Boys and Natural Disasters. They were the team though that you didn't really think were gonna survive anyway. You know you you knew that they were gonna be eliminated at some point. But I think I can't think of a better way really to start the the Steiner brothers off, and and particularly to start the Royal Rumble '93 off in this very solid tag team match with, as it was billed, two brother teams. We know the Beverly brothers weren't actually related, but that was the, their gimmick, and it was it was a nice touch. Um, yeah, and I I you know it's the first time. Um, I knew of the Steiners. I didn't see many of their matches when they were in WCW, but I, I did know them. Um, and it was really this match that got me really into them, because it was one of the first matches that I, I saw. It was the first match, I think I saw the Frankensteiner. Um, but you know, this is what started my my, um, my love for the Steiner Brothers. So uh, yeah, yeah, good solid opener you know, it's not bogged down in, in massive dramatic storyline. Um but yeah, you know, Frankenstein at the end. Stalins get the win. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great way to start the show. So then as we move on up the cards, we get to the Intercontinental title match. Um Interesting point, really. When I started looking back at this, 1992 was the first time that there were title matches at the Royal Rumble. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I I couldn't really find, and I I know there was the Royal Rumble '88, and it's considered the first Royal Rumble. I didn't really know the '88 one when I was growing up. So the 18, 1989 was really my first um, my first experience of the Royal Rumble. There were no title matches on that one and it wasn't until 92 that you got the tag team title match you got the intercontinental title match and obviously you got the the wwf championship that was being decided in the royal rumble match and and then as it went on the royal rumble wasn't one where you you saw all the the championships um defended you know in full you know 93 you had you had the two singles titles but you didn't have the tag team titles and um, 94 you had them all I think that's uh, and then 95 yeah that's from then onwards 95 onwards you, you then had, had them all being defended but in those run up to sort of 92, 93 it wasn't it wasn't really customary to have the championships being defended so you know having an Intercontinental title match on my card really it sets the it sets the era that I would be looking at and I think again I was really spoilt for choice because when I was growing up, the um, the first Royal Rumble that came to pass that I was able to to actually watch WWF on TV sort of on a weekly basis was '96, and I think then the Intercontinental title changed hands with um, you know Goldust beating Razor Ramon. That was a that was a big thing because I didn't think that was going to happen. I kind of wanted to see someone different than Razor Ramon with the belt, so I kinda of wanted Goldust to win, but I didn't think he'd been there long enough for them to have given him that that run. Um it it wasn't a great event, you know, Royal Rumble wasn't a massively successful event for Razor Ramon. I mean, he lost the belt at ninety six, he lost the belt at ninety five. He did before it was reversed and restarted, um he did actually lose the title to IRS or, you know, it suggested he had lost it before, like I say, it was then you know, I restarted and he did actually sort of win. Yeah, so so none of his matches really stick out in my mind. Um, and sort of the later ones, you get towards the late 90s, I think the Intercontinental title did start to lose its meaning somewhat. So really, I, I narrowed it down to two Intercontinental title matches, which would be on my perfect Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And after much inward deliberation I did pick my winner which would be on my card which would be from Royal Rumble 92 Rowdy Roddy Piper against The Mountie it's quite a poor match in terms of the wrestling it's not a long one it's very sloppy but I think I was, I was comparing I was trying to choose between the emotion that was in this match in 92 to again one of my favourite Intercontinental matches on the Royal Rumble which was 93, Shawn Michaels against Marty Jannetty, mainly because there was emotion there as well and it was seeing the Rockers explode, you know, the Mega Powers exploding WrestleMania 5 didn't do a lot for me, I wasn't really that bothered about Savage and Hogan too much as a team but the Rockers were were one of the staple teams I grew up with and then seeing them, I mean knowing in 92 that, that they broke up because Shawn Michaels turned on Marty Gennetti but then seeing having to wait a year for that match, I thought it was a good match. Really, uh, maybe nobody could really see My Gennetti winning the belt. Um, but looking at the '92 one, I think everything. I watched it back the other day, thanks to the WWE Network having over twenty years of the Royal Rumble for free on the network, so I can actually watch them and go back and watch these old ones. Um, Roddy Piper. I didn't rate him as a performer. I didn't rate either of these guys as performers, really. But I think the Mountie could pull out a good wrestling match more than Roddy Piper could. But it's the emotion in there. You know the history. Roddy Piper saw his friend Bret Hart kind of get cheated out of the title a couple of days before. Um, And it's just his... I think it's his mannerisms, really. It's his fa- his facial expressions. His He looks... So happy and maybe a little surprised to kind of be there in a title match on a pay per view, but he, they, they kind of they go at it for a few minutes, and then sort of Jimmy Hart gets involved, um, kind of costs the Mountie in a way because he he he, Roddy, uh, Roddy Piper runs the Mountie into Jimmy Hart, and then he slaps a sleeper on. And at that point, I still. I didn't think the sleeper was really enough of a finishing move and Roddy's didn't really look like the most effective. But when he put that on, the crowd goes nuts. And he hadn't even won, obviously, until the referee um, chops the mounted arm three times and makes the decision. And that place just erupts. And it's then his face. I mean, he's he's then he's enjoying, he, he, he gives the Mountie a bit of his own, medicine he shocks him with his shock stick and then when the announcement comes through from Howard Finkel that Roddy Piper is the new Intercontinental Champion it's it's that sheer emotion that joy that celebration which you don't you haven't got I don't think with with title changes for a long time it looked real to him you know and i thought he was comical with it he was he, he was brilliant in himself he was a real character i just didn't really rate him as you know the best wrestler i i was much more for Bret hart being the ic champ in those days um but it was a good moment you know i think for that reason you know take the, the wrestling ability away for a second um that is one of the even yeah you know, gives a goosebumps watching it back really in that moment when he wins the title because you know it's it's there it's real he's got his moment and um, as they were billing it it was the the only time or the, by that at that point the first time that somebody had the chance to win both the IC and the world title on the same night so you you did kind of wonder whether Piper would have would have been able to do it um, but also I think you could not beat at this point the. Um, the commentary team of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan they made that whole event but I think they were absolutely brilliant during that match so next on the card we move up to another tag team match, I was i was deciding when I set this out I wanted an opening match, I wanted an IC match I wanted a tag, a tag team match I hadn't decided at that point whether it's going to be a tag team title match because like I said earlier not all the Royal Rumbles I I loved watching back then had the tag team titles defended and those that occurred at the end of the 90s again, I think they really did from sort of i see say 98-99 the, the belts didn't seem to mean as much um, as they did so apologies if my choices here are a little skewed to one sort of area but for me that is really what made Made them special is you know that that point in time. So we'd already had a, a a normal sort of standard tag team match at the beginning of the show with the Steiner Brothers and the Beverly Brothers. I then decided, um, looking at some of the other options I had. So looking at the tag team title matches that the Royal Rumbles had, um, for instance, the the tag team tournament finals in '95, Bam Bam and Tatanka against the One Two Three Kid and Bob Holly it was it was entertaining I suppose but again you never it was a good Cinderella story I suppose for the kid and, and Bob Holly to win the belts but you never really got the impression they were going to hang on for them for too long and they didn't um, 96 Smoking Guns and the Body Donners was a bit odd Smoking Guns great team in the mid 90s I didn't really know what they were trying to do with the Body Donners so turning Tom Pritchard into a skip clone Uh, 97 they weren't defended Owen and the Bulldog were in the Royal Rumble match Um, 98 they weren't defended because the champions I believe at the time were the big boss man Ken Shamrock or it's the Outlaws the Outlaws? not sure but they were against each other those pairings against each other in singles matches for the the IC and the Hardcore title Um, so yeah I mean for me they're I could have gone way back to the beginning as well you know you had some entertaining ones with like I say the Rockers and the Orient Express and the the Rougeos and the the Bushwhackers but I think they're more opening matches rather than sort of the upper mid card um, tag team matches so I settled well I settled I really enjoyed this match the choice for mine to follow the Steiner Brothers and the Beverly Brothers and the Roddy Piper Mountie matches would be a tag team title match with the Quebecers against the Hart brothers, Brett and Owen, from the Royal Rumble 94. And again, at the time, there was this dream that I would see Brett Hart win another tag team title. And for him and Owen to be tag team champs, that would have been really special, I think. They they should have run with that at some point. Um, I think by the time they reunited in 97 for the, the Big Hart Foundation faction, I think they might have both gone beyond the point of being champions with each other um, but it was, a, it was a fun match and I think the the thing that makes this match memorable anyway is the ending it's Owen Hart turning heel on his brother which is something, you got a hint of it at Survivor Series 93 but then you thought when they came back together as a team at the Royal Rumble that everything was fine um, and then it wasn't, I think seeing Owen Hart as a heel for the first time is, is really really memorable and that that's that that started one of the best programs I think I've seen stretch through the year, which is bretton Owen throughout the whole of '94. I spoke about it back in the a few episodes ago when I looked at '94, my sort of year in review. It was Brett and Owen that carried that year, and I I didn't mind the Quebecers really. It was I was quite shocked when they came through. I saw it in one of the WWF magazines when firstly they announced their arrival and then all of a sudden they had the tag team titles all in sort of one go and I was like who, who are these guys, I knew Jacques Rugeot and obviously the Mountie recognised him and I think this kind of it it carries on what I, I took away from the, the 92 Intercontinental match with the Mountie doing one over Bret Hart right before the, the Royal Rumble so you kind of then wondered whether Bret would have his revenge on on the Mountie in, in 94 to, to take the tag team title away from him. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm giving Jacques Rousseau double duty on this Royal Rumble. I've, I've just, um, I've just realized that really, you yeah, know, two matches in a row. <laughs> so, but, um, it would have been nice to see the heart, the, the Bretton Owen win the tag team titles that night, but I think the ending was, was perfect. I mean, it led to something a lot bigger in, um, in, in Owen's heel run, um, I thought he made a fantastic heel. He he was a good baby face. I really enjoyed his his early rocket run, you know, with the with the the baggy pants and all that and the clown <laughs> the clown pants. With uh with high energy and um i d I didn't know the new foundation so well when I was growing up, but high energy were a great one to watch. And um but I think when he turned heel he was really in his element. So yeah. Yeah, this one definitely is my sort of tag team title pick of the bunch. And then we move up to the WWF World Championship match. Again, only sort of half of the era that I was looking at had the the world title up for grabs. Now, just to make clear, if you're not familiar with with this podcast, if you're tuning in for the first time, my my chosen kind of era for wrestling that I love and I will always go back to is about sort of the mid 80s up to sort of 2000 um, and that's really probably up to the end of 99 beginning of 2000 so so everything I talk about or a lot of things I talk about on this podcast will be within that era so I understand obviously I, I, from sort of like I said earlier 92 was the first time that, the, that any of the championships were really defended or decided at the Royal Rumble and then from then on, you did always have a, a world title match at the Royal Rumble. Um, they played with the the idea of having it before the Royal Rumble match and keeping the Rumble match as the the main event. And then in '96, they started playing around with um, having the, the the world title match after the Royal Rumble. Um, for some year for a couple of years, and I I much preferred it being before. I think the Royal Rumble match itself deserves to be the closing attraction. That's the the reason it's there. So I think putting the WWF title match after the Rumble really did dampen the mood a little bit. Because um, I think people had, had their fill by then, and it sort of took the focus off of it. At 96, the Bret Hart Undertaker one was a great match, but I, I don't think it had the the attention it deserved really if then if they had put it before the rumble because I think I mean I for one was at that point a real Shawn Michaels mark so knowing he won the rumble I wasn't really too worried about what happened afterwards it just kind of decided in a way who who he was going to face at Wrestlemania but 96 was the first time they they then had an in your house pay-per-view on in February so that's when they started the playing around with you know, putting the 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 WrestleMania title shot up for grabs as well, which for me is not right. The Royal Rumble, unless it's ninety two when it was for the 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 world title, the Royal Rumble match should always be where the winner gets the title shot, regardless of what you do in between. Anyway, I digress. So I I think, I was gonna make a point in ninety seven they did the title match after the Royal Rumble as well, Shawn Michaels and Sid, which was a bit of a lackluster match anyway, but. I think following the Royal Rumble match, it didn't do it any favours, but you can look at all the um all the other world title matches now there's another world title decision which um I would pick over all of the others, but for obvious reasons, I won't put it in this spot, which will become clearer um but i there was one this was it was surprising to me that I would veer towards the end of my chosen era really to pick my my favourite world title match from a Royal Rumble to put on my perfect Royal Rumble card, but I'm going with The Rock and Mankind in the I Quit match from Royal Rumble 99 and again, I, I guess it's not like best of a bad bunch, I wasn't a massive fan of many of the world title matches at Royal Rumbles I almost went with the casket match, The Undertaker and Yokozina from 94, but it's not a memorable match. Again, you remember what happened at the end, I think, with The Undertaker being wheeled off and then ascending to heaven or whatever was happened. After that, Bretton Diesel at 95, there wasn't a clear winner. There, well, there wasn't a winner in that one, so that was a bit of a disappointment. 95 was a bit of an odd year anyway. Again, go back and listen to my 95 year review episode if you want to get my thoughts on it. 96-97 didn't really um it wasn't well positioned the world title match and then the the casket match from uh 98 with Shawn michaels and the undertaker again it wasn't that memorable it's the end again it was kane turning on his brother and setting the casket on fire that everyone remembers but the the rock mankind i think i remember most of that match or at least a great deal of it and I watched um I watched the the Beyond the Mat documentary only recently and um they they highlight they follow Mick Foley for a little bit of that film around this time, around this match and afterwards and you see the the sheer terror on his kids' faces who are who were in one of the front rows. And his wife has to take him away towards the end because they just can't bear seeing their dad take any more punishment when The Rock is just hitting him time after time after time over the head with a chair. And this era was... I I did really like this era. Um, I wasn't a fan of the, the whole Attitude Era, but this point at which I think when The Rock won the title at Survivor Series and then he goes through to WrestleMania, that's my favourite part of the Attitude Era is those sort of six months. Is seeing Austin trying to battle back against the corporation against Vince McMahon to get his shot and get the title back, but the program with Mankind was it was like an added extra in there. You, you know, it wasn't going to be part of the big blow off really at WrestleMania, but seeing Mankind win the title right back Christmas in in ninety eight was a big surprise, and you really wanted him to to hang on with hang on to the belt in this match, but seeing then the Rock. Find a way of, of, of sort of slithering away with the title was uh, it was magic you know it was really really good and like I say for as a as a whole match and the lasting effect um, of all the world title matches I remember from the Royal Rumbles yeah this would definitely be this would definitely deserve to be on there um, on my my perfect pay per view so before we run in to the main event, my pick for the Royal Rumble match my favourite Royal Rumble match of all time to cap off my perfect Royal Rumble pay-per-view let's just recap, so we've opened up with the Steiner Brothers against the Beverly Brothers the Steiner Brothers getting the win with the Frankensteiner then we move on to the Intercontinental title match where Rowdy Roddy Piper wins the title from the Mountie then we get the tag team title match where the Quebecers Put the belts up against Brett and Owen Hart. They retain the titles back in 1994 um, due to a, a stoppage because of Brett's injury. And Owen Hart turns on his brother at the end. And then we ramp it up to the WWF world title. Um, the Rock regains the belt from Mankind at the Royal Rumble in That brings us to the main event. The mother of all Royal Rumbles. Which one's it going to be? So here we are, the main event. Every th- the, the one match that everyone comes to see or tunes into when you're watching the Royal Rumble, the Royal Rumble match itself. So, again, although I was spoilt for choice, there are so many great Royal Rumble matches. I think it's one of my favourite pay-per-view events. I said at the beginning of this programme, really the unpredictability that can come with a Royal Rumble match and the fact that you, you see so many guys go in there that you wouldn't normally get to see on a pay-per-view, it's it's just it's the variety, it's the excitement, it's the build-up, it's, I don't think any other event barring possibly Wrestlemania or some Wrestlemanias, do I feel like the excitement builds throughout the pay-per-view to the main match and it um, wasn't until 1993 that they started giving or awarding the, the winner of the Royal Rumble with the title shot at Wrestlemania um, it would seem like it had some link to it I suppose because um, with Hulk Hogan winning in, in 1990 he was in the main event at Wrestlemania but he was the champion when he won the Royal Rumble um, Ninety one. Hulk Hogan won it and went on to, to uh, fight for the title at WrestleMania, but that was just um, part of the storyline with him going up against uh, the the program that he, they built with Sergeant Slaughter, which came out of him winning the title. Um, in 93, there was the first year they made a point of it. They made it a big thing that the winner would go on to WrestleMania, and obviously we know what happened there with Yokozuna. Um, t- when they added that to that element to it i think for a number of years it was it was legitimately you could feel the the hype behind you know anyone can go to wrestlemania because the winner would go on to to fight the champion at wrestlemania then like i mentioned earlier it started probably 96 onwards here and there that they they started it wasn't set in stone that the royal rumble winner would go on to wrestlemania Steve Austin won the 97 Rumble. He wasn't in the main event of WrestleMania. Shawn Michaels, when he won in 96, had to defend that spot of WrestleMania against Owen Hart at the February in your house. And I think it really does kind of undermine the the, the whole draw, the whole purpose of the Royal Rumble when actually that right to fight for the title of WrestleMania is 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 taken or can be taken away just as easily you know um and then you get to where it became like brand splits multiple world champions somebody could win it but you didn't know who they were going to face because they could pick either you know either champion and it's i don't know the 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 majesty i suppose the importance of the royal rumble has lessened for me um, for quite some time, I mean, you know, by no means do it. I, I haven't watched a Royal Rumble probably for about fifteen, twenty years now. I, I really do prefer the. I, I I think the best Royal Rumble events came um, in these these years I talk about up to ninety nine, two thousand. But um, out of them all, I mean, the entertaining ones ninety four. It was a great. I love the new generation. And it was great to see guys like Bret Hart in there, Lex Luger, Shawn Michaels, Diesel. Um, I wouldn't say the, the Royal Rumble matches weren't that memorable. I think the '96 one for me was because Shawn Michaels made his big return again. So that was quite exciting. 95, they it was a bit laughable, the whole feel of 95 is odds, And it was the first year that they decided to trim the Royal Rumble match down to, to one minute between entrance rather than two. See that again? Keep with the two minutes. It's a good. It it you get to build it. You know, an hour long Royal Rumble match feels a lot a lot fuller, a lot a lot better than trying to rush through it like they did in ninety five, trying to get everyone out there. It's, it's no. And then when they start doing ninety seconds, it it just feels like you kind of I don't know. It feels like an odd amount of time. You know, the the two minutes is a nice round length of time. I think to have in between, but you know. That's probably just me because I old school in that sense, you know. I, I feel why they need I didn't really see why they needed to meddle with it. But anyway, digressing again. The reason we're here, my perfect Royal Rumble pay-per-view could only be topped by one Royal Rumble match, where when I look back on them, despite all the ones that I love and I can go back and watch time and time again, there is only one which I think already exists as probably the perfect Royal Rumble match. So step forward, 1992. With Ric Flair winning the WWF World Championship, the only time um, that the belt has been, has been put up um, as a prize in the, in the Royal Rumble match. Say what you think about Ric Flair. I, I wasn't a fan of his WWF run. Um, I thought he was a bit, at the time, a little bit of a dull choice. But looking back on it, after all these years, I've come to appreciate the importance of him being the champion. Um, And doing it in this way as well. I think it would have been way too predictable for Hulk Hogan to win it. I'm glad he didn't. And I really like what they did with it in terms of Sid Justice eliminating him to set up that big his his last big clash as it was gonna be at the time at WrestleMania with Sid Justice. Um and just that that, that sort of heel turn, you know, when it happens in a Royal Rumble you can understand why someone like Sid Justice would have eliminated Hulk Hogan given the chance, even though he was meant to be his friend, it's every man for himself. They said it for years. All the other preceding Royal Rumbles they were saying, every man for himself. In this one, you really got a sense of that. With Sid Justice taking a shot and and dumping out Hulk Hogan, it was a massive statement, and it's a it's a brave move for the WWF at the time to be doing that to the the guy who who was their cornerstone guy for years, for like eight years up to that point. Um, it set it set them off in a different direction with with Ric Flair. It started to get away from you know the the usual Hulk Hogan. You know, then you've got Randy Savage, Bret Hart, all these these smaller guys got their chance to be champion um, off the back of this but I think just as it exists as the the Royal Rumble match the participants you've got in there I saw something earlier I think there's about 16, 18 Hall of Famers in that Royal Rumble um, there wasn't a standout one for number of eliminations either this became a thing in later years as well where it was it, this, this big Achievement was to have the most eliminations. They seem to have to top this every few years, but sort of looking on the, the elimination list here, there isn't anyone that really stands out as, as dumping out loads. I think Diesel was really the first one that, that seemed to get some kind of notoriety for that in 94. Prior to that, it was really down to the length of time that you were in the Royal Rumble. That was the big thing that people... Um, that the commentators really hammered home. So whether it is Ted DiBiase, I think it was in 1990, you got Rick Martel in 91, Ric Flair in this one in 92, and it would carry on Bob Backlund in 93. There was somebody there who started at the beginning who would be in there most of the way through. But this was the first year, I think, that you had someone enter so early. Um, Number three, Ric Flair came in, and he only... I think eliminated sort of four or five people through that. Sort of looking back, you know people like the Texas Tornado, the Big Boss Man, uh, Randy Savage, along with Sid Justice, um, and and obviously Sid Justice at the end to win it. Um, you know, he 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 was one of those. the sort this Royal Rumble was really all about Ric Flair, not just because he won it, but his story that he told throughout it, and. I'll say it again, like I said in the, the Intercontinental title match, one of the reasons why I picked it is because the commentary team of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, in my opinion, was the best ever. And because Bobby Heenan was so invested in the storyline anyway, invested in Ric Flair, he he you could tell he's he's trying to stay partial as as he called it broadcast journalist but rooting so heavily for Ric Flair throughout the entire event not just the Royal Rumble match itself but he'd been commenting throughout the, the build-up to the you know throughout the whole pay-per-view about wanting to know what number Ric Flair was that he was confident Ric Flair was going to win and I think by the time the Royal Rumble match came round I mean you knew Whose side Bobby Heenan was on anyway, but you could hear the desperation in his voice almost, you know, he was he 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 was desperate for Ric Flair to be able to win this. And I think the moment he comes out at number three, Bobby Heenan's reaction to it was, it was just brilliant. Okay, who's number four? And oh, there's a buzzer! No! Oh yes! Damn it, it's Ric Flair! And then throughout the rest of the match, you've got him clinging on every time Ric Flair left the left the left the the mat. He was going to be put out by someone, you know, Bobby Heenan. Sounded like he was going to have some kind of heart attack, you know, while he was commentating on this. Which I think, when you come to the end, you're so you're invested in it yourself as well because of the exchange between Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon and just the desperation that Bobby Heenan wanted Rick to win and then the minute he does oh, look at this Humpster holding on trying to pull him out it's flying from behind I, I, it's it's a heel win. It was booed. Obviously, you know, um, at the time, you know, people didn't like it. They don't like to see the babyfaces lose. But I think looking back as a an old school wrestling fan, you really do appreciate the importance of that. And they did it right after years before of babyfaces winning the Royal Rumble. So Big John Studd and Hulk Hogan two years. It was good for them to turn it on its head and, and have not only having a heel winner but ha- having at the time the heel winning the the most prestigious Royal Rumble because of the title being at stake and I th- I think any time that you get a massive title change or you get a match of this size with such a prize at the end it's going to be a winner and the 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 cast list in this Royal Rumble I think was one of the best ones because you know for the first time you've got Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, The Undertaker, Sid, the British Bulldog, Sergeant Slaughter's in there. You know you've got um, uh you you've got other classic stars like Jimmy Snooker and and Haku and it's just that era of 1992 if you've not heard my earlier shows when i at the beginning of the the series when i i talk about how and why i first became a wrestling fan 92 is is really one of those years that shaped everything for me as a wrestling fan and i don't think that any royal rumble will ever top this one particularly nowadays because the 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 roster talent wise i would say is quite thin the results can be predictable and because of social media i mean you get an idea before you even go in there people are already discussing what they hear is going on backstage what the plans are and to be fair i don't think the writing is as imaginative as it used to be it's probably too imaginative in one sense because it's 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 way too hollywood and they can do no end of things with it now um taking strides away from what professional wrestling seem to be back in the 80s and 90s um but i think it's 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 too linear you can predict the way the year is going to map out and who they're planning to be against who at wrestlemania everything seems to centre around wrestlemania more so now than ever before so i think when you go when you try and backwards plan if you can predict what's happening at wrestlemania you can probably predict then what's happening at the rest, at the royal rumble maybe even the survivor series that pre- that precede it. Um, whereas back in this day, you didn't really know. I think there was there was still a lot of people that were expecting Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage to win that. And um, lo and behold, especially when Ric Flair comes out near the beginning, and, and it was the first Royal Rumble I think to really shock me as a wrestling fan. I think it probably did to a lot of people where um, that match it it seemed natural and unpredictable and that that's really that's really what it was about back then so yeah so there we go that is in full that is my perfect my own take you may have yours if you have send us a message you know get in touch let me know what your perfect Royal rumble pay-per-view would look like but for me it would be one that has the steiner brothers that has an intercontinental match with the emotion of the roddy piper and Mounty uh, you would have a, a tag team match in there again with a backstory and emotion to match the likes of the Quebecers and the hearts you would have a world title match that was s- so brutal so memorable again so emotionally charged that 22 years later, we're still talking about it as if it was yesterday. with The Rock of Mankind, and you know, to top it off, yeah, you cannot beat the Royal Rumble match from 1992. So Ric Flair, Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan, the whole setup really, I think, really made that event what it was. Um, so yeah, won't won't be any more like it, in my in my opinion. If there is, I'll happily admit i was wrong but i will wait for that but uh thank you very much i hope you've enjoyed this episode um just a bit of fun really i just realized obviously you know the other day that it's royal rumble season and um and i just sort of started reminiscing on on how much i still love going back and watching the royal rumble from um from those days and uh who knows? Maybe, maybe the magic will return one day, and, and we'll have a Royal Rumble worthy of the uh, the early '90s. But we'll see. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please do. Um, if it's your first time listening to Once Upon the Turnbuckle, please go back and check out the other episodes. Um, and throughout this year, I mean, even over the next sort of month or so, I've got a few uh, a few cracking guests lined up i'm hoping to really grow this podcast this year and if there's any topics out there from the golden era so we're talking about like i say mid 80s to sort of 2000 if there's anything particular you'd like to hear me discuss or anything that you know if there's anyone out there who wants to come on and and chat to me be a be a guest and we can we can shoot the breeze and um and you know and go and, and discuss these moments these these personalities the events whatever it is from from that era you know i'd love to uh, i'd love to have more people come on for and uh, you know and, and engage with like that so um uh tune in next week i have a very special guest um coming up who i'll um who i will announce prior to it on my page um but uh just to just say she is a uh, she's an, an ex ladies wrestler um, who was trained by the likes of Pat Patterson and sensational sherry Sherry Martel and she competed in the WWF she competed in ECW so she's certainly got some stories to tell and that 's coming up next week so keep an eye on my page follow me on Facebook and Instagram and I will see you hopefully back here next week I'm going to say, after they proclaim me the real world champion. I'm going to tell you all with a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one. When you are the king of the W W you rule the world. Think about it like that, Mr. Perfect. Guys, <imitate defenceksi noises>